Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. That's right, boys and girls. You know where you are. You know what time it is. This is Tyler Sheff, and I am the host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. And this week, we're going to talk about equity multiples. And again, the reason why I brought this up is I hear this a lot these days. It's a new fancy buzzword. Sounds great, doesn't it? Equity multiple. The equity multiplier. It sounds sexy like salsa, right? Everybody likes to say the word salsa. I love saying the word salsa. I also like saying the word queso. Queso is my favorite, but that's a whole other story. Today, we're going to talk about equity multiple. I know a lot of you, including me, saw that for the first time. We're like, now what? Where'd that come from? I haven't heard that term before. Well, you know, our... Our syndicator friends out there in the world, somebody decided that we're going to come up with a new buzzword, a new phrase. The last couple of years, it's taken hold these days. It's getting more popular because I guess we got tired of talking about cap rate and IRR and all these other things. And now we're coming up with equity multiplier. Kind of sounds like transitory inflation, doesn't it? Yeah, well, here we go. Let's talk about equity multiple. The term equity multiple is used by syndicators and deal sponsors as a fancy way to discuss ROI, return on investment, really, is what it comes down to. Now, Google Google says that uh, equity multiple is a metric that calculates the expected or achieved total return on an initial investment. It's calculated through an equity multiple formula. Boy, that sounds, that sounds complex, doesn't it? That divides the total dollars received by the total dollars invested. So, basically, IRR, not IRR, but... Uh, um, your ROI, right? I mean, that's pretty much what it comes down to. Let me give you some examples. Now, I've seen this primarily on apartment deals, okay? So when folks are raising money, they tend to be advertising the equity multiple. And I want you to be leery of this. Those of you out there investing in other people's deals, you should be asking questions when this comes up. But I know a lot of you don't ask questions. You're just like, oh, well, so-and-so says the equity multiple is 2.0. So that means that if I put in 100 grand, I should get 200 grand, no questions asked. This is great. Where do I sign? Well, you need to ask more questions. And if they're doing webinars, they're explaining things, dive into the paperwork to determine how they're getting there. Because it's, it's, an, it's an estimation, really, is what it is. It's pro forma. And as we know, pro forma means I'm guessing. When I can, for a lot of folks, it could be just guessing. For hopefully most syndicators, it's an educated or a, a fact-based based hypothesis, right? A little different than a guess. In other words, they're not just completely willy-nilly going, doing that old Johnny Carson thing where they're holding the envelope to their forehead going, sounds like $3.2 million exit. Now they're, not, they're going a little farther than that. Hopefully, they're breaking it down to figure it out. So what are we doing, right? Here in Key West, when we're looking at the guest houses and whatnot that we're doing, we're looking at several different factors for exit, right? We're looking at our cash flow during the time we own it. When we buy these properties, it takes a little bit for us to get them stabilized and get them working, right? In a lot of cases, maybe they're already cash flowing. If they are, great. But we want to make cash flow improvements. We want to get up to way things are, the way we know things should be. The whole thing we do here in Key West is we're finding properties that are being underutilized. They're not getting all the rent they should for various reasons. And in most cases, guys, it's a marketing problem or a lack of marketing problem, I should say that's causing things not to make the amount of money they are because, or they should be because if they're being marketed properly, if I can turn my marketing skills on and really get the word out there of these properties, they'll be slam full with no vacancy. And that's how we make our money. The second part of that is at some point we decide we're going to exit the assets. So 
let's say we decide to buy something today. We want to cash flow it for four, four and a half years. We want to get it looking good, get the books looking good, get it performing top dollar. And then we're going to turn around and sell it or and make our windfall, or we're going to refinance it and maybe finance the investors out. Maybe we buy it from the investors. Either way, we need to come up with a valuation. And in that case, you know, one of the things we're using is cap rate, right? We're looking at what's the market cap rate. And Key West, it's low. Let me tell you, it's like 3 4% uh, is pretty much going right. Now, we're doing better deals than that. I wouldn't buy anything at a, at a three cap. I, I just, I don't see there's any profit in it to do that. But we're buying properties at like, say, six, seven, eight cap. And we're going to hold them for a while. We're going to stabilize them. We're going to get them performing. We're going to generate cash flow. We're going to share that with the investors. Investor, investors get a big piece of that cash flow because we want them to be loyal. We want them to invest in our next fund. So we're going to pay them well. And then we're going to exit and we're going to share share that spoils of war with the investors and they're going to get the good a good chunk of that, the majority of that. So it creates a win-win, right? It's a deal for us and a deal for them. So as an investor, when you're looking at our deals and you're looking at that equity multiple, know that we're taking in all the factors. We're figuring the uh, cash flow, the monthly cash flow in the property, which down here is not doesn't take too long to get these things stabilized. Depends on each property is a little different, but we're, we'll have an initial period, which will vary from property to property, when we're going to get these things firing on all cylinders, so to speak, right? If it's not operating as profitably or the occupancy is not as high as it should be, we are going to put steps in place to fix that. That's what I'm good at. That's what I've been doing the last several years is focusing on the short-term rental model. All the deals we've done lately in the last couple of years have been short-term rental. We've really crushed it in that market, and that's what we're going to do down here in Key West. So how we're going to how are we going to improve someone's equity? Somebody comes in with a hundred thousand, and let's say our equity multiple is uh, we they come in with a hundred thousand, and they come back out with two hundred thousand. That would give them an equity multiple of two x. Now I'm going to say this right out of the gate. For some of you, that's exciting, but the next question you should be asking is how long is it taking for you to do that? So if it takes a year. Well, that's a damn good deal. I mean, it's also it sounds to me like really speculative and very high risk. Maybe you're out there on, on the beach fishing for those square roopers or something. But if that equity multiple, if you like the number, and I don't ever see anybody advertising numbers that aren't any fun, that's an interesting concept, isn't it? So when you look at the equity multiple, you should be asking yourself and then your deal sponsor, okay, that's cool. I like a 2.0 or a 1.5 or whatever it works out to be equity multiple. How long does it take to get us there? If it takes a decade, 10 years, well, that's not a good deal. So you can see that even though the number looks sexy at 12 months, that's also scary at the same time because what are you doing to get there? If the answer is I'm not sure or I'm just going to shine it up a little bit and change the flowers in the front yard, I'm going to have a tough time believing that you're going to get a 2.0 equity multiple just by changing the landscaping. I would venture to guess you're going to have to do a little bit more and that little bit more is going to take more time. You're not going to do that on day one. Okay, I've been doing this long enough to know that when you come into a new property, you've got a period of adjustment where you're trying to figure things out, you know, more than what you know on due diligence, right? There's a learning, learning curve in there on any property, no matter how experienced you are. Guys, I've been doing short-term rental for like five, six years solid now. I've been a multifamily investor for even longer than that, I've been a real estate investor for 20 years. I'm here to tell you, I learned something new with every property. Every asset, no matter how pretty it may sound on a spreadsheet, is going to take a period of time to get brought online, to get up to speed, to get performing on all cylinders. And you should also know 
that there are some assets that don't ever meet full full uh, full expectations, right? That's always a concern. Maybe they overshot it. So let's look at this from another angle. Let's say somebody says, hey, if you invest in my deal, you're, I can get you a, a 2.5 equity multiple. The next question you should be asking is, how are you going to get me a 2.5 equity multiple? And they may say, hey, you know, I found a, a loophole where I can buy foreclosure deals before they hit the market and reposition them for three times the money. Well, that might be viable. And that would explain why they could do it in such a short turnaround. So does that mean it's a scary deal? Not necessarily. If the person's a player and they know what they've been doing in the market and they've got a track record to, to back this up, then I would look at their opportunity a little closer. If it's one of these person, people that looks like they got a, a crack habit and they're foaming at the mouth going, yo, man, just give me 50000 $50, and I'll make you a millionaire, I'd probably be running for the hills because <laughs> that person's probably going to leave town with my money. So things to think about, right? So let me give you... A couple of examples here, and we, I just did earlier. And the first example was, you know, so you put in a hundred grand, you give it back two hundred grand. That give you a, a two times two x equity multiple. Okay, so you get two x on your money. If the investor only receives one hundred and fifty thousand back, then it's a one point five x equity multiple. Pretty simple, right? Pretty simple. We basically divide one into the other, comes up with our multiples, and off we go. So if an investor purchases a property for a hundred thousand, here's a second example. Let's look at it this way. And the property pays seven thousand dollars a year in net. And I'm gonna circle that bad boy in red ink and I'm gonna scribble underneath it net operating income. So here's a clue, folks. That's a question you should be asking. Is the equity multiple when you're factoring cash flow based on gross or net? If it's based on gross, well guys, you can't spend gross, you can only spend net. So for me, I don't really care what gross is. I only concern, my big concern is what is net. That's a, that's a reasonable line of thinking. And there, believe it or not, there are people out there that are syndicating deals that are basing things on gross, and they're not actually figuring all of the expenses. They're leaving out a lot of expenses. Sometimes they're trying to make a deal look good for their own benefit. You know, I get it. It gets discouraging being out there and you're putting pencil to paper and you're having to chase down the brokers and they usually only have half the information and it takes sometimes weeks just to get the data together so you can look at a deal and even start to underwrite it. So when you get into the underwriting thing, it's easy sometimes to just leave a couple things out so it looks better because good gravy, you're tired. But here's the news, folks. You're going to get your, your butt handed to you if you invest in a deal where this is the case. So the whoever's doing the deal, the sponsor should be able to explain how they got to their numbers. Okay. They should be able to provide and be willing to provide no eye rolls included with an explanation of how they got there. In other words, they should be teaching you how they got there on our deals. Mike and I, when we do our upcoming webinars to explain our deals, I'm going to structure it as a tutorial so that because I'm a teacher and that's where I'm at my best is when I'm teaching people. So I'm going to break down my deals and show you exactly how I plan to get to where we're going to go. And you'll see pretty quickly that Tyler's not guessing. I've been playing this game for a while and I know exactly what the hell I'm doing. And I'm not taking unrealistic chances here. I'm not rolling the dice to see what happens. What I'm doing is very calculated and on purpose. I'm an intentional investor. Okay. I'm not out there going, well, geez, I sure hope this works because if it doesn't, sucks for you guys. That's not how I play. So in this case, example number two, 
the property, let's say, pays seven thousand dollars a year in net operating income. So we get seven grand a year. Now, how many years we own it is going to make a difference on our equity multiple. If we own it for one year versus five years, that's going to make a huge difference on our equity multiple. So let's say that same property you got hundred grand in it, and the you sell the property for one sixty five after six years. Okay, so one sixty five after six years. In this case. The equity multiple calculation would be two hundred and seven thousand dollars. How'd we get to two hundred seven when we sold it at one sixty five? We did one sixty five plus the seven thousand a year for six years. Okay. Um, now I will also say the same thing. If you say this, if you are looking at somebody's calculations and the year over year cash flow doesn't change very much, that should be a red flag for you. That would tell me they're probably guessing, or worse, they're not raising the rents every year as they should be to outpace inflation. So you should be seeing different cash flow numbers every year. It should be increasing every year, hopefully. If it's not, a good question to ask is, why isn't this increasing? Why is this decreasing? Okay, and what have you what what have you done to the property to allow for the increases? Guys, if the increases are like 10% a year, they should be able to justify for you how they got that math. Now, if the increases are 2 or 3% per year, those are simply probably just rent increases based on lease renewals. That said, where somebody's doing their job and raising rents on, a more, on an annual basis, let's say they're raising the rents 3% every year, it's reasonable to assume that they're probably going to have a little bit higher uh, vacancy because people, some people will, will move over a couple percentage points. Oh, the rent's too expensive. Well, what they'll find out is they can't find anything else. But at the end of the day, it could get, they'll, sometimes people will panic and move out. We had that happen a lot up in, in Memphis, Tennessee. We had apartments we rent for three, 400 bucks a month. And those folks will move over 20 bucks. You raise the rent 20 bucks, they're out of there. I mean, they are absolutely out of there. They leave all the garbage behind and they go find some other dump to live in. And it's heartbreaking, but you know, they'll leave for 20 bucks. So that's why a lot of properties up in Memphis, that's why the rent hasn't moved since the 1960s because people will just move in the middle of the night. I mean, they move. I had one tenant that we did a, a history on them. They moved like six times in five months. It was crazy. Well, did they move in with us? Hell no, they didn't. We passed and went with someone else. But that's what goes on every day. So getting back to this example, in this case, your equity multiple calculation is going to be based on 207000 which is the sum of the 7000 a year plus the one sixty-five, And then, of course, you're, you put hundred grand in to get in the deal. So your equity multiple in that case would be 2.07x, okay, 2.07x, which is your equity multiple, okay? As far as example three, the, the, and let's put leverage in the mix, we really can't count the leverage as much in this calculation, right? So we got to back that out. Let's use the same example, 100 grand. If you're going to use a loan for 50 grand, let's say, I don't know, let's say you, I don't know, borrowed from your IRA and you took 50 grand out of your self-directed or out of your IRA, your 401k, I should say. You took 50 grand out of your 401k in the form of a loan and you put 50 grand of your own cash with that to go invest in a deal. You can absolutely do that, guys, by the way. Um, I did that when I was with the federal government. I had what they call a thrift savings plan. A thrift savings plan allowed for you to take a loan from your thrift savings plan. Well, the interest rate on the loan was like 0.0%. It was ridiculous. It was below one first 1%. So it made sense for me to take a loan on my own money. And I know that sounds crazy. It's like infinite banking, right? Um, which, guys, is an absolute scam, by the way. Just don't even get me started on infinite banking. But the when you take a loan against your, your 401k money, if the interest rate is nice and low, that might be a great way to invest in your first deal or your first syndicate, especially as a passive investor. Because if you can make, I don't know, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 18 percent interest or return on your money, I should say return on interest, if you can make that kind of annual return on your money, well, hell, that might be help, that may be well worth it, especially when the cost of borrowing 
that retirement money is low. And then you can just pay that back out of your paycheck, maybe instead of distribute or instead of taking them take the normal thing out of there, you just cancel, shut that off. For example, your normal, your normal contributions and you just pay the loan payments instead. It's a strategy guys. Is it perfect? No, it's not perfect. But if it gets you in the game, if it gets you out of wall street casino, then it might be worthwhile, right? The only way you're going to find out, guys, is sit down and do the math and find out. But I'm here to tell you, it's a viable strategy. I did it. I've done the math, and it worked out quite well. So in this case, you got 50 grand, let's say, in a loan. You got 50,000 of your own cash. The same would apply as if you bought a house, and you put, you borrowed half the money, and you put the other half down in cash. That property pays $7,000 a year in net operating income. So seven grand a year in net operating income, the annual interest payments on the loan are 2500 Okay, You sell the property for one sixty-five after six years. In that case, the equity multiple would be 2.84%. Okay, 2.84%, because you're, get, you're getting return off of the borrowed money, which is the, the ultimate sweet spot and dream, right? What they're doing is they're backing out the cost of funds or the interest from the gain, giving you that result. So leverage can amplify returns because the cost of the debt is cheaper than the cost of the equity. Like I said earlier, if you can borrow money at a couple percentage points, you know, the interest rates are low right now. When I did it with the savings plan, it was below 1%. So let's just say it was 1% for easy math. I'm only paying 1%. But if I'm making 8% return on 1% cost, that means my true, my net return is 7%. And guys, nothing wrong with that. That's how you make money, right? Because you're compounding, you're going to outpace inflation. That's not a bad deal. So just keep that in mind. Understand, though, that leverage can also work against you. You've got to be careful with that. If it costs you 8%, 9% to borrow money from your 401k, and you're only going to make 8 9 or 10%, that's kind of a skinny margin. And if you get into trouble in the deal that you're investing in, that could put you in a tough spot. So don't do what, like this, like Larry Harbold says, don't step in the quicksand, right? That's the last thing you want to do is make things worse. This is why I tell people, don't use your credit cards under any circumstances to invest in real estate because real estate by design is speculative. I don't like to say that it is. I hate thinking that. I mean, I'm an experienced operator. I know what I've been doing. I've been doing this 20 plus years. But that doesn't change the fact that by its own nature, even as a long-term landlord, it is spe- there is a degree of speculation involved. So I would strongly urge you not to swipe a credit card to get things done in the real estate space. I don't think it makes good sense. And I think that if something goes wrong and you can't exit as quickly as you thought, that things are going to get out of control for you. And I know a lot of people get sucked into like these business credit things where you're like, oh, I just borrow the money on business credit. It's zero interest for 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, whatever. Uh, like Fund and Grow program, they, they help you put together a corporate credit card account so you can qualify. And it's zero interest for a period of time. I guess that's all fine and dandy, provided you're guaranteed you can exit whatever deal you're going to get into within that time frame. But if you can't, well, you're screwed. That interest is going to hit you and hit you hard. And this is exactly what happened in the, in the housing crash of 08. People were out there doing these teaser rates, right? These adjustable rates. Oh, it's 2% interest for the first five years. But what happened when the five-year market? They lost their house because they couldn't keep up with the payments anymore. People went from, you know, an $800 a month mortgage payment to a $2,000 a month mortgage payment and they lost their shorts. Okay, so just keep that in mind. It can happen to you. You're not above that. I'm here to tell you. Um, luckily, I didn't get sucked into that whole drama. I've always been dead adverse most of my life and I get more and more dead adverse as I get older. So that's just me. Keep in mind, it's very dangerous, guys, to put too much weight on this metric as it is any single metric. Don't get sucked in to coming up with one metric by which to judge all investments that will get you into hot water. It will lead to you. It costs you money over time. I guarantee you, you will, you get sucked in. I've in the years over the years used hurdle rate. I try to buy things that are on a one and a half percent hurdle rate. What does that mean? That means I want the income needs to equal about one and a half percent of the purchase price for it to make sense for me. As market changes and whatnot, it becomes more and more of a challenge to reach that. But in the short term rental space, I can reach that with ease in most cases. Now, when you use only one metric, guys, you're leaving stuff out of the equation. This is why I've railed against people using cap rate exclusively as a go-no-go decision. It doesn't make good sense. Cap rate does have its place in the investing space. I'm not saying that it doesn't. But I'm here to tell you, if you only use cap rate as a ruling guide and you don't go beyond that, you're going to make purchase decisions that are going to cost you money. You're going to screw up and you're going to overpay for a deal. And then, the, then I'm the kind of guy that's going to come buy it from you at a significant discount. And while you're in tears, I'm going to be giggling all the way to the bank. Don't make me do that to you. I'll do it. 
you get in trouble. You call Uncle Tyler. I'll buy your, your overpriced property from you at half of what you paid for it. Because just because you stepped in the quicksand doesn't mean I'm going to join you, right? And that's why you got to be careful when you do this, guys. You've got to absolutely be careful. The reason why I'm not a big fan of any metric, and here's an example with cap rate, is cap rate does not include debt service. It doesn't factor debt service or repairs. Well, damn near everything you buy has debt service and repairs. So how can you make a decision using only cap rate if your deal absolutely has debt service and repairs? That's just how it works, guys. you got to understand that. The same thing goes with this equity multiple. If you don't know all the answers of this equity multiple, then don't do the deal. If they're telling you they can get you a 2x equity multiple, but it, and you don't ask the question in how long, and they say, well, over 20 years, well, that's a problem, guys. Because if your money's out for 10 years, 20 years, and all you can do is get 2x on your money, that's not good. Believe it or not, it sounds sexy on the Facebook ad, but it's not good when it comes down to dollars and cents. So ask those important questions. Same thing goes with internal rate of return. The one thing I do like about internal rate of return is it does fluctuate when time is applied to it. When you look at, you see, sometimes you'll see low internal rates of return or what you think might be low. That's probably because the internal rate of return is all inclusive of both cash flow and sales price, and it's got time applied to it. So if you look at the IRR of a property in five years, it'll say, let's say 17%, but in year three, it's say 28%. Well, the difference between year three and year five guys is time, right? That's the big difference. The longer it takes the lower the IRR goes with IRR. So just keep that stuff in mind when you're out there looking at deals. If you're thinking about putting your money into a deal, you're thinking about working with a syndicator, these are the good questions you should be asking. And I know a lot of times, a lot of the webinars, they don't give you the chance to ask questions, and I don't agree with that. But I do invite you to come to our webinar, even if you're not going to invest or you're not in a position to invest, you don't have the money, maybe you're not an accredited investor, I want you to join the webinar anyway. I want you to learn what we're doing down here. Take some nuggets away from it. Use what we're doing in your own market. Maybe you want to do your own syndication. You want to raise your own money. Make sure you come to our webinar. Make sure you get involved. Guys, I'll catch up with you next week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.